As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, Steph Curry sets the record for most three-pointers made. We discuss what's his place in league history and how has he revolutionized the game. Plus, we check in on the Sixers. Are they closer to dealing Ben Simmons? Can they get the assets back to make them a contender this year? And we talk a little bit of COVID protocols around the loop. We dish all that with someone who has rolled down Broad Street from time to time. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? And with that said, hi, everybody, and welcome to another rendition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Aaron Berlin, along with my partner. He is the one. He is the only. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, what's up? How am I doing? It's, I, like, it's, I guess it, it's Steph Curry night. You know, as, as I think most, most of our regulars know, you know, we, we tape this on a Tuesday night, and so people listen to it on a Wednesday. Uh, Steph Curry just moments ago has, has, uh, has claimed now the, the three-point record, the all-time Breaking, breaking Ray Allen's record, most three-pointers made for a career. So um, I'm doing well. I think Steph's doing better, but, but I'm doing well. How about you? Steph's having a good night. So here's, here's well, I am doing well. Thank you. My Jayhawks won this past weekend. My Chiefs continued to be on a roll. So as far as like Aaron Berlin fandom goes, yeah, it's, it's really nice. But I, I do have to ask you this because I thought it's so funny sometimes, right? How we get big sports moments in some of the bigger venues, right? Like it's so like, this is a big moment because of all the trials and tribulations that Steph Curry has had to deal with throughout the course of his career. Right. Like small kid under recruited, didn't really bust out on the scene until he had that great NCAA tournament run, went back another year, then drafted eighth, then had all the ankle issues, started a dynasty, got hurt again, league MVP, blah, blah, blah. Like Steph Curry's done it all. Right. But to break this record in the way that he did, and I would say, outside of it being coined this, right? The world's most famous arena. How special was that? And I, I know you grew up watching the Knicks and you've been to some big games at the Garden. But how great is it for the league? We'll talk about Steph in a second. How great is it for the league to have a moment like that with the Knicks? in the garden with the Warriors and Steph, they're breaking that record. I, I look, so I, I, I do not want to be on the, the, the rain on the parade kind of, kind of guy, but I'll, I'll say this. He walks into a game in which he's, which I think he's what, hitting about five, five a game, if I'm not mistaken. And he needs two to, to set the record. Um, I mean, going all the way back to their last home game, I think he needed 16 at that point in the last home game before their road trip started. Uh, and people were talking about like that was a thing that could happen, even though no one's hit ever hit 16 before. I I think so. I think there is. It's certainly not fatigue. I don't want to again. I don't want to sound like that guy. But you know, is it is it nice that he broke it? You know, in New York, and it does. It's like another notch on the on the you know cool things that have happened with the Garden Belt, if you will. So that's nice. But at the same time, um, if you needed like six or seven, and the game was tight, and it was in the fourth quarter. You know, doing it in the first, doing it—it's like breaking a home run record in the first inning. It's like, okay, you know, like you did it, great, congrats. Um, but it, it just didn't have the pop that it would have had, say, if he had done it in Philly against his brother, or um, if you know, if he if he had you know, got those got those sixteen, even though that's an insane number, and nobody should even really have uttered the phrase. But we we all kind of in the media, we all kind of did like, oh, look at sixteen, like you know, 
Yeah, if it gets four a quarter, that's like, okay, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so you hate the idea that you knew this was going to happen? Uh, I mean, like, I, is, is it, is it for, if you're the league, is it better that he broke it in, in New York than, say, um, you know, in, in Portland at 1030 at night on the East Coast? Yeah, it's better that he, that he did it in, in, in New York on a, on a game that was going to be a nationally televised game. Sure, that's, you know, it helps, helps, it helps everybody. Um, and I'm not mad at that. And I, and I don't say that as any disrespect to any other market or any other team, but you know, you, you, you want your stars performing the biggest and the, on the biggest stage. And that's, that's what Madison Square Garden is. Yeah. It's, it's the world's most, or it's the world's most famous arena. Yeah. It's the league's biggest television market. And to have the Warriors in town to do that, I would say that the league probably wished that kind of like you, it would have happened in the third or fourth quarter. Cause I feel like people tuned in to watch that happen and knowing that he only needed two and he tied it on, um, I believe it was his first three point attempt of the night within the first two minutes of the game and then took another one, missed it and then had the record within the first five minutes of the first quarter. So if you're the league, like it's great. You got all these viewership numbers at the top of the hour. It's bad when you start seeing those ratings drop after the first quarter, right? Like that's, that's not ideal for them. So I get the idea of wanting to have more of a story to be told throughout the course of this game. It doesn't really feel like there was much adversity, yeah. right? Like there was, there was no villain or it was just kind of like there was going to be this pomp and circumstance moment that you knew was going to take place. I mean, we've been talking about this and, and this record happening, I believe since Saturday, where we knew it was probably going to happen tonight and we were planning a show around it. And so it's, it's, yeah, I I completely agree. It's unfortunate that there was not more drama built up. It's not like when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were going head to head Mm -hmm. in the home run race. Like, like that was intense drama each and every night. It was must watch TV because you knew at some point they were going to break the record, but you didn't know who it was going to be. Right. And there was no one that Steph was necessarily racing against which would have made this more fun and i think it would have made warriors games a little bit more fun but there is a point where you where how do i want to phrase this where fatigue does play in and you said it well like you use the word fatigue and it's just like i can't do this anymore but i i do think there's a larger conversation to be had with does this record like if steph curry does not get this record do we think differently about him in any way, shape or form and his legacy that he's left on the game? Because it's, it's been expected, right. With the way that he has shot the ball that we just assumed at some point, this was going to be his. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, 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 it's like, uh, it's like Tom Brady with some of the passing marks. It's just, it's not a question of if it's a question of when. And I think what, what, what adds to the drama is if it's not, only a question of when, but the if has to be there as well. Like say for baseball, like it, you know, the, the depending on which whose home run record you want to you want to go for, you want to go for Hank Aaron or you want to go for Barry Bonds. Yeah. So like it, that that's the the if will somebody be able to hang in the game long enough to get to 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 that to that point to that mark. So I never I never felt like he might not get there. So for me, it was never really a a question of, of, it wasn't really a legacy question on the if, because I always thought that he would, it was just, okay, which night on the calendar will it be? Was it going to be this week, next week? But you kind of knew it was going to happen before the, before the, you know, the, the, um, before the new year. And then kind of, we, we can now get into the, into the rest of it. But, but legacy wise, I, I don't, I, I just assumed, you know, based on how the game had, now, if you asked me seven or eight years ago, I don't know if we necessarily saw how the, the game would has, you know, it's, it's certainly a, it's this constant evolution and the, and just how many threes we've seen. I don't know if we went back five years, we have known that that's where the, where the game was going necessarily, but. Yeah. The, the pace and space play that really, I would say probably started around like 2013, 2014, where it kind of took that next step mm-hmm. and the Warriors dynasty kind of took off. That was when you kind of saw things changing. Who's got next or does anyone have next? Does anyone ever catch Steph Curry? Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Do you, do you feel like the person who could is in the league or not in the league? Cause that's, a, that's always an, an issue. You have to, you know, you know. well, the, the thing is that um, you would have to throw up a lot. Of the, what makes Steph Curry so fun to watch 
is that he is a high volume shooter, but he is efficient at the same time. Right. Incredibly accurate. Yep. It is, it is almost boring to watch him shoot because you know that it's going in. Like, and if it doesn't go in, you are flabbergasted. You're like, what did I just watch? Where you can throw out names like a Trey Young, right? Mm-hmm. And Trey Young scores a ton of points. But Trey Young also has nights where he shoots like 25% from the field. Yeah. Yeah. And where he's just jacking up anything and everything. And that doesn't make him a bad player. It makes him not have the resources that like Steph Curry has with his roster, right? Um but here's the here's the other thing. You have to I mean, how many more years do you want to give Steph? Because he's going to be, you know, he's, the, I mean, he's still playing at a high level. So. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the, the record is going to be, you know, well over three thousand um, by the time he's all said and done. So, I, I, I don't know, I don't know who's walking through that door, but, but, uh, you know, Steph Steph Curry was born on March fourteenth of nineteen eighty eight, which makes him thirty three years old. If I did my math right, I'm thirty two. I was born in eighty nine, so I'm just assuming he's thirty three at this point. I would easily say as a player that plays the way that he does, he has at least another five years left in the league. And okay. I, I would give him at least three years at a very high level mm-hmm. and probably a few more years if he's okay just being like a, um, like a role player of sorts. Mm-hmm. Or maybe like the second or third guy on a team. Right. So, so our, our producer, Bruce Bernstein, is saying he has a shot at 5,000. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't imagine who else would be. That's why I say, is the person even in the league? I, I, don't, I don't even know if that well, person and, is. Like, and that's the thing. Like, he's inspired a generation of, generation of shooters, right? Yeah. Like, like, kids don't necessarily play around anymore saying that, like, I want to dunk the ball. Everybody wants to shoot threes because they've watched Steph Curry do it since 2008. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like he's made shooting fun and so makes me happy that my Jayhawks beat him in 2008 in the, uh, <laughs> in the elite eight each time you know because he got Bill off his first championship but I like to say that we were the first uh, dynasty that took down Steph Curry so to, to the loyal listeners if it doesn't come back to Kansas it doesn't come back so like it that's, always, that's it, 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 it always it, comes back to Kansas yeah. and Bill self championships, which are few and far between. So but that's <laughs> a story for another day uh, coming up on the show. Otto, we are going to talk some Sixers with Serena Winters of the locked on Sixers podcast. Also former sideline reporter for the Sixers. Interesting situation going on in Philadelphia. We'll talk about this at the end of the show too, about just kind of like where I am. And we've spoke about this numerous times on this show about I've always had this idea that the Sixers could be better than what they are, right? Um, I'm going to talk, we're going to talk to Serena about that if, if they can get to that ceiling that I think that they can be. But looking at this Sixers squad, do you even think that a trade for Ben Simmons does much for them? Like, does it really change their trajectory? I mean, it, it, it a trade could, but I mean, I, I think if you're a team that's, I mean, you know how this works. Um, if you're a team, you want to give up as little as you can for a guy. So, yeah. you know, why am I, if I'm, if I'm, you know, in Portland or if I'm in Brooklyn, just to use the names of two franchises that have been, you know, dangled out there, do I really want to just send Dame you know, across the country? Do I really want to send Kyrie, you know, within my division? Uh, so now I have to. So now is he not? Not only is he not playing for me uh, at home, I he he would actually get to play as a as a visitor. He'd get to play in Brooklyn because of the COVID rules don't 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 affect visiting teams the way they affect home teams. So it's like, why would I want to do that if I, if I you know if I'm um, you know management with you know in, in Brooklyn? So um, so yeah, I mean a trade could make sense, but you know it's kind of the devil's in the details. Like, show me what you know what what are we talking about here? Um, I it, like I, I know that that folks you know like like yourself who uh, and like I, and I am not even though you know grew up a Knicks fan, I'm not disappointed at at, at the notion of Philly doing well. I, I'd love to. I think it's one of those great franchises. It's like it's like a Chicago to me. It's like a Chicago doing well. You want to see that kind of 
that level of, of you know, a blue, blue blood program in the NBA do well um, and, and just kind of like get back to, you know, what, what we remember back in the, you know, back in the day, whether your day was, was AI or, 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 or Dr. J or going all the way back. Um, you want you want to see, you just want to see success. So I, you know, I hope they could figure something out that, and also for, for Ben, as, as we've said before, like at the end of the day, you're talking about a human being here and, yeah. and the issues um, may be physical, but they're probably more not physical if you, you know, more upstairs, if you know what I mean. And so you just hope that, you know, he finds his way and, and that everybody kind of, you know, can make the best of, of their situation. 100%. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, city of brotherly love. The 76ers have had an up and down season so far as they've dealt with injuries, their top player being out for COVID and the whole Ben Simmons situation to discuss all of that. We bring in the host and the producer of the locked on Sixers podcast. She is Serena Winters. Serena, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. I mean, I'm glad that Otto finally showed up for our interview since he I, decided to just show up fashionably late. Mr. California out in Agora Hills, enjoying the weather out there. And we were here ready to go, man. Yeah, well, some people actually need to put it on a newspaper. So that that actually, you know, oh. I, so, sometimes, sometimes I go with the people who are paying me as opposed to those who aren't. But anyway, oh, but it's, it's, well, it's all good. With the well, here's, here's the thing, Otto. We have this commitment and it's a standing commitment every yep. Tuesday at yep. seven o'clock. Yep. So, I mean, yep. you, make, you make time for the ones you love, right? You make time for the ones who pay me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying, just saying, you know. <laughs> uh, all right, Serena, let's start it here. The 76ers got blown out on Monday night in Memphis. Joel Embiid and Seth Curry were both late scratches from the lineup. Where do we start with that? What was the reason for their scratches? So, Joel has this basically right rib issue that he was dealing with on – uh, actually, before Saturday, when they played Utah a couple of games ago, he was taken out of the lineup, checked out in the back, said he had severe pain. Um, but he ended up coming back and finishing the game. I'm sure you guys saw the game Saturday against Golden State. Obviously, he felt well enough to play against the Warriors. And look, this has happened before where Joel Embiid is a late scratch. This one was literally just moments before tip. That's all we know. It's, that's, it's the same area in that rib area. And we're uncertain whether or not he'll be able to play for the next game. Unfortunately, with Joel, if you are a Sixers fan, this is one of those things that doesn't surprise you because this has happened many a time over the past several years. So Serena, considering his injury history, uh, is Joel, I mean, from, from the, from the outside, it would seem like he's the, he's the guy you want to build a franchise around, but considering the injury history, you're obviously close to the situation we are. It, do you feel like he is the guy to be that the Sixers should be building, uh, whatever, it, whatever it is they're going to be doing? Cause clearly they are going to be needing, needing to move in some direction after Ben Simmons. Yeah, Otto, I understand the question. Definitely. Right. Because especially as, you know, an outsider looking in or just with the headlines that you see injury concerns with Embiid have something been something that's been happening every year. That's how it's going to be. I don't think that's going to change. However, I absolutely think this is the guy that you need to be building around for the next couple of years. He is still going to be in his prime for the next few years, barring any, like you said, crazy injuries. I'm taking my chances there. He is one of the best players in the NBA. And when you see him turn it on, there is no stopping him. There are, there are games you can watch him go to this next level that no one can stop this guy. So to me, there's no question that this is the guy that you build around. With that being said, you don't know how much time you have left for a prime Joel Embiid. And because of that, Otto, I think you have to take that into consideration right now. It's important to make a trade now because you would be, you know, hitting yourself if you decided to not make a trade for Ben Simmons, in essence, waste this year of Joel Embiid and not know what's going to happen next year. Right. So I do think this is the guy that you need to build building around for the next at least two to three years. No doubt about it. Serena, is there a sense, and maybe you get this among Sixers fans and, Sixers fans are very vocal, right? I think all of Philadelphia fans are very vocal. Sixers fans? Philly fans are vocal? So so, so when I think about this Sixers team, and Otto and I have had this conversation numerous times, I have this 
odd affinity for the Sixers because I believe that they're see- like they're here and their ceiling is here. And we've sure. never seen that out of them for some reason, whatever it is in the playoffs. Is the sense among Sixers fans frustration with the way the front office has handled this roster? I mean, you think about to the treasure chest of picks that they had, what they did with Markel Fultz, getting little out of him, and then the Ben Simmons situation. There has to be a sense of growing frustration. First of all, if you are a Philly fan, you're constantly frustrated in general. I mean, that is just part of your DNA. If you grew up, whatever team you were a fan of, if you are a Philly sports fan, you are frustrated. Doesn't matter how good your team's doing. That's just what it is to be a Philly fan. So that's how I have to answer your question that, of course, there is frustration. And going back to Otto's question about, you know, is this the guy you build around? I think that most of Philly fans would agree with me that you do have to build around Joel Embiid right now. And that's also adding to the frustration because you're seeing a team right now and the past couple months that has not, you know, performed well and not looked good. Obviously, no Ben Simmons and no no player at all in that slot whatsoever. Um, so yes, there's frustrations. I mean, that's just that's how it is to be a Philly fan. And there's a fun part to it. There's always something like there's always some drama, no matter who is in the front office, right? There's always something. That's just Philly fandom. Yeah. So let me ask you this question, uh, and it's a Ben Simmons question. Where do where do you see this going? I mean, a guy hasn't played. He's you know there was all kinds of talk on the off season about you know he's going to Portland or he's going here, or he's going to and and in, and he's still in Philly. So where where do you see this going? Look, I think Ben Simmons does get traded um, over the next couple of months. I think that he's too good of a talent defensively for teams that are needing players to build around for them not to be interested in. I mean, a team like Minnesota, you know, as an example, I could see them trying to figure out a multi-team trade to get Ben Simmons. Are there questions about Ben? I know that if I was an opposing team and looking at what's happened the past few months, like, yeah, that's something to really think about because this guy has not played organized basketball in a significant amount of time. With that being said, we know how good he is in the defensive end. If you've watched this Philly team without him this season, Philly has been one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA, and they have Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is one of the best defenders in the NBA. But what happened is that the Sixers don't have anybody else that can play defense. The Sixers went from a top defensive team in the NBA to a bottom defensive team in the NBA because they don't have Ben Simmons. So clearly he does have value. Does he also have baggage that comes along with that value? Yes. But I think Ben would probably be ready to prove himself elsewhere. Um, At least I know I would be if I were Ben Simmons. And so I think that teams are certainly going to be interested in him and I would expect him to be traded over the next couple of months. Let me follow up that quickly with another question. So Google Maps, you got that little guy you could you kind of you know toggle and you could place him anywhere. If you could do that with Ben Simmons, where would you place him? What city would you place him into? For his own self or well, from for a Philly perspective? For for his own self, Philly perspective and, and you and where you personally would like to see him. Well, I would put Ben in a smaller market personally okay. that didn't have a ton of the media attention on every little thing. Um, I think that he would thrive better there. And you see that with some players like Jordan Clarkson, who was in LA and look what he's done now in Utah. Um, Even D'Angelo Russell has done a lot better since he left LA. Uh, Lonzo Ball did a lot better since he left a big market. And so for me, I see Ben best case scenario with a smaller market team. I mean, for Philly, best case scenario, which I absolutely don't see happening, is you get to trade him for Dame. But look, I covered the Blazers. I know a lot of people who cover the Blazers currently and know the situation inside and out. And unless Dame says, trade me to Philly, he's not coming to Philly. And I don't see that happening this year. If there's anything that happens with Dame, I would assume for that to be next season um, or over the summertime because 
of money and contract negotiations. You know, I don't see it happening this year. And if that's the case and you think you can get him, then do you wait it out and in essence kind of waste this season of Joel Embiid because you think you might be able to get that best case scenario player of Dame Lillard? I don't know that you do that because you got to make sure Joel Embiid's happy right now. Like that's, that's also a priority in this. If you're going to build around Joe and he is ready to win a championship, and I'm telling you, he's ready. I think that he feels like they are on the cusp of it. I think they felt that the past couple of years. You can't waste this year. You've got to make sure that he's on board with whatever it is that you decide to do because the last thing you would want is another disgruntled player in Philly. Yeah, absolutely. And just to echo the defensive numbers that you mentioned, they're 21st in the loop this year in defensive rating. Last year, they were second in the loop in defensive rating. So the roster has not had that much turnover. It's a big part of what he does as his team. And so it's it's an interesting point that you make. But I'm going to push back a little bit on this because I do think that if you're Joel Embiid, and let's say, of course, you want to win a championship, right? But if you're going to trade an all-star player such as Ben Simmons for pennies on the dollar, what does that do for you if you're Joel Embiid, right? Because if you bring in a low-level all-star for someone who was a top 10 player in the league, I don't think that gets this team any closer to a championship ceiling. Oh, I'm it? with you on that. I'm 100% with you on that in terms of pennies on the dollar. And I think that if there's any person in the NBA making the decisions for a team like Daryl Morey is, I think he's the guy that would wait, right? I, I just he, think that he, he is. is the numbers guy. He is the numbers guy. Um, but it doesn't have to be pennies on the dollar, right? I think that it, if he's looking at rather than those top 20 players in the NBA, if you expand your scope to top 40, top 50 players, and you can get somebody that's a legitimate impact player, that plays incredibly well off the ball, um, can provide shooting, plays a little defense, and you can also get some picks in return. Would you rather do that? That's not pennies in the dollar per se. Um, would you rather do that? And because I think in reality, the Sixers don't necessarily need an all-star to contend. They have one in Joe but they do need a really good impact player in the starting unit. Um, and right now that's, that's what they don't have. So I think there's more options there than just getting an all-star or pennies on the dollar. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a good point, but at the same time, I, I do think that you need some kind of known commodity when you're sending out a player like that. And I, I think we've seen it numerous times in the association draft picks. They're, 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 dot, they're darts, right? Like, like you're throwing a dart and you're hoping it hits at some point. And for any first round pick that you might get back for Ben Simmons is probably going to be a non-lottery pick. It's probably going to be a late first round pick. And so it's, it's a tough situation. And it's one that thankfully I'm not Daryl Morey, right? <laughs> like I don't have to make that decision. And I would never want to make that decision because me, I'm the guy who'd hold on to Ben Simmons. And I'd be like, I'm going to wait until I can get this guy back out on the court in some way, shape or form. That way he can show that he's healthy. He can show that he's productive and then we can make a deal. But I'm also not trying to win right now. And so it's an interesting conundrum. And I know I just completely contradicted myself on every such situation there. So, but Aaron, you're also a Joel Embiid fan, right? 100%. So, so I would love to see my guy succeed. And if it pains are, me that I can't. If you are going to decide to sit Ben Simmons then, okay. And wait it out until next year. What do you do with Joel Embiid this year, knowing that your team and, maybe and is going to be in a play? Here's the thing: it's it's about keeping Joel happy, right? But I don't know if that changes the situation at all for him personally. If I bring in some just guys that are going to help him get to maybe an Eastern Conference semifinal or an Eastern Conference final, right? Because they've been there. They, they need to find players that can actually put them over the hump, and. For everything that was made about the process, they've just never been able to get there. And so I think that's where like the, it's the most vexing issue for Sixers fans, right? Like they had all these tumultuous years. They had this treasure chest of picks and I'm not a Sixers fan. I like the Sixers for some reason. I'm not a Sixers fan, but I can like, I can cope with Sixers fans in this situation, right? <laughs> because like at least Boston has like something after all those picks that they had, they have something that they can look forward to. I feel like Sixers fans know what this team is and it's not good enough. 
Yeah, they they need another piece. Yeah, and I just don't know how you get that with the situation that they're in. So here we are. They did did have it with Jimmy Butler at one point. They did, and it's like, what happened? (laughs) But anyway, and and you have Tobias Harris too, and I think Tobias Harris is a very valuable piece. Has he become more valuable to this team than Ben Simmons has as far as the trade chip? Mm, I don't know that he has. I think, you know, he's got a very big contract and I think sometimes myself included has higher expectations for him on the court, um, than we should have. I think in games where Joel Embiid's not playing, he should look like a star player out there and this season he hasn't. With that being said, he did have COVID. He did have a hip injury. He did have some other non-COVID illness. I don't know how much any of all of that is affecting him. I'm sure that it is, but we talk a lot about one thing the Sixers are missing is that closer down the stretch, right? Look, Joel's, you're going to be your closer, but who's the guy that Joe can kick it out to when he's triple teamed? And I think we want Tobias to be that guy, but it's almost asking too much. And so I would think that if that's how I see it, you know, other teams might see it that way too. Um, I still think Ben Simmons has a higher trade value. So I want to go, go back to, to Ben Simmons with respect to, you know, what they could get for him. And this may answer the closer question as well. So I'm sure you saw Saturday night when the Sixers were playing. Uh, there was a whole lot of conversation about, you know, I, th- I think it was uh, Jalen Rose who came up with this one, uh, Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving. And I don't know if that's, I mean, is that even a, could that even be a thing from, from your perspective? Um, cause I mean, I would seem to answer a lot of questions on, on both for both teams, but I don't know if that's, if that truly makes sense. It's just that the Sixers have already dealt with so much turmoil with the player. True. So the reason I hesitate to answer that question, I mean, I guess he fits in with what has happened with the right. Sixers, if that makes any sense, yeah, right? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, but that is a big hesitation for me, you know? And speaking of somebody who also hasn't played organized basketball in a long time, mm-hmm. also Kyrie. So, I mean, I guess the swap there is, it's kind of a match made in heaven in terms of similar, right? right. Um I don't hate it, but I do not love it. I, 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 I get where you're going. I get where you're going. Uh, Aaron, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think? All right. Well, first off, it would be changing one bad situation to another. And I, I, always, I always think that like change of scenery is good for anyone, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think it's uh, the move to Brooklyn was not a good one for Kyrie in the sense or in the optics of he had just had this big conversation with Celtics season ticker fans where he wanted to stay. And then all of a sudden he bolts for Brooklyn, right? And Brooklyn brings in Harden. They have Durant. They have this big three that's never really materialized, right? So change of, change of scenery is good for a lot of people. Like if I walk, walk outside, it's much better for me to be outside than it is to be stuck in my office, right? Like I have a better feeling about it. So, but at the same time, you're dealing with Philly fans, right? Who have already been through all this turmoil, who have an idea of where this team is and what they are. And now you're bringing in a player that's already wishy-washy in some way, shape or form, right? I don't know if that gets you any closer. Now to Serena's point, where if you do bring in someone who's maybe, and this is where I'm going to contradict myself again, right? If you bring in like a top 20, 30 player, like say CJ McCollum, that's more where I lie. I've always liked McCollum as a player. And I think McCollum as a lead guard where he's not having to defer to Dame and he plays very well off Dame, right? Like those two together are tremendous, but I do think that's a situation kind of like what Serena was saying that could play together. And, you know, Serena, you worked for Portland a little bit. What do you think about that? I think it's okay. I think that 
If you have a starting lineup though, where you've got Seth Curry and CJ McCollum in it, you now have two guys in the playoffs that opponents are going to look to attack in the starting unit. And then that poses you problems that Joe has had for the past several years of being double teamed and triple teamed. Um, and defensively it is not a match made in heaven. I mean, what is CJ like six, two small, he's He's small. small. Um, Seth six, one. So (laughs) that's something I, I, the, the basis of the point of like a guy like that in terms of like top 30, you know, not a top, not an all-star, but can help, um, be an impact player. The basis I like, but thinking about defensively how bad the Sixers have been this season and then having CJ and Seth in the starting lineup, I think that that poses problems. Theoretically, if you could make a one-on-one trade, who would be the best fit for the Sixers? I mean, theoretically, if you could just get Kevin Durant, that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah. Just, uh, there we go. Problem KD solved. KD to Philly, right? baby. We did it. Problem we did solved. It. There it is. Yes. Ben Simmons for KD. Woo! <laughs> Championship. Oh, if, 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 we could, if we could solve all problems like that, you know, just leave that magic wand and just like poof. That's, that's <laughs> what we do on this show. We solve mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Hey, so uh, you, you talked about defense a little bit. And, um, uh, you know, defensively, at least as far as as far as Saturday night's game was concerned, and, and kind of making sure that Steph Curry did not hit anything from three that would put him anywhere near, uh, you know, breaking Ray Allen's record. I mean, you know, Matisse Thybulle is, is is you know is certainly a fine defensive player, but they looked they looked like world beaters on on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of con- considering where the team's overall defense is. Uh, should they be given Thybulle more minutes? Uh, even though it doesn't have really the offensive game to kind of go along with that defensive side. I think it's situational. I think that Saturday with the game that that was Seth Curry's record on the line and how good Seth is, it made perfect sense to have Matisse Thibel have a go with him. Um, If you watch a lot of Sixers games, the other side of the ball is definitely a deficiency for Thibel. It's just, he's, he's elite defensively. He really is. But if you have him again, in a lineup with Joe, where you need a guy to be ready to catch and shoot, Thibel's not your guy. So it's like, I want to say yes, because he is such a good defender and he deserves the minutes. And also like you want to give him minutes. So he, he's never going to be a great shooter, but you do want teams to at least you want him to be a good enough shooter where he gets respected. Right. Mm -hmm. And right now he's not. And so that's going to cause problems for Joe. If Matisse's thought Matisse's defender is just going to sag off of him. Right. So that's where I'm hesitant to say yes, more minutes, um, and kind of use him more in those situational circumstances where you've got a guy like Seth Curry, Trey young, these guys where the only like the warriors weakness, if they have one, the only, the way that you can beat the warriors, there's like, there's like one way you frustrate Steph. Like that's the only real way that you can beat them. And so if that's in your game plan and Matisse did that on Saturday night, then it makes sense for him to play more minutes. But there's other teams that have a lot of other weaknesses that you need more than just that. Okay, fair enough. So kind of brings us to Doc. Doc Rivers, where do you see, I mean, how do you think his, things are working for him? How do you think he's liking how things are within, this, within the organization? Obviously, you know, yeah, he's accustomed to, to, to winning at a high level and titles. But how, how do you think he's doing um, just as a guy within the organization? I honestly think that he's doing pretty well. Mm. I really do. I mean, given what the Sixers have had to go through to start this season and the lineups that they have had to play with, um, and it's not just the Sixers. We're seeing it now with a bunch of other teams, obviously COVID protocols with Bulls suspending games. And now we've got what James Harden, I think I saw, is back in protocols for Brooklyn. And, you know, it goes on and on. But he has managed to keep the team together. And you hear 
a lot around the league when coaches lose a locker room. There's a lot of talk about that. And Doc's done the opposite. And that's really important for your number one guy in Joel to have the respect of the head coach. I think that he has that. And then on top of that, from a basketball mind standpoint, I mean, he has brought something to this team that, you know, coaches in the past haven't. Um, I mean, not all of his ATOs have been perfect, but there has have been some that have and that have won them games. So I think that personally, I think he's done a really good job with the team that he has. And he's had to deal with Ben Simmons questions every single day. He's had to, he, he's kept this team together amidst what has become a national NBA story. So I feel like he's done the best that he can do. Yeah. There, there's nobody better than dealing with tough situations than Doc Rivers is. I mean, he's been through him numerous times in the NBA and you've been through a lot today on this show. One with Otto showing up late, dealing with all of our questions and kind of like our whole rigor morale, but Serena, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Serena Winters, pretty easy. And if you are a Sixers fan, you can listen to the podcast locked on Sixers available and free wherever you get your podcasts. Love it. See, it's like you've done this a time or two before. Oh, just a time or two. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. You guys are welcome. That was dope. Special thanks to Serena Winters for taking the time and talking a little hoops with us, talking a little Sixers, talking about my guy, Joel Embiid. The Sixers are going to get there one day, right, Otto? Like, it's going to happen for this team. At some point. Sure. If I, one day you mean within the next 50 years, but absolutely. That's, that's, I, f- that's I feel, I feel like the only way it gets there is if they tear this roster completely down and they have a new process. That is the only way that it happens. Uh, I, I would, I would tend to agree. I mean, it'd be one thing if they were just kind of tinkering around the edges and, and they didn't have a Milwaukee bucks in their way a Brooklyn, a Brooklyn nets in their way. And then if they somehow were to get through those two, and that's, that's assuming that, you know, they get past the Miami squad that, that always seems to, to show out come, come playoff time. Assuming they get through all that, you got the Golden State Warriors waiting on the other side. And it's, it's a fine NBA Finals is not going to go down the way this, the game in, uh, in Philly on Saturday night went down. That's just not going to happen. So, or, or I'm sorry, your, your, uh, your team, would, did you have another, another team? No, no, I, I didn't. Okay. You know, the, the, the Sixers were the team that I think that we've talked on this show for, the last few years that I have hung my hat on and I've been steadfast and that eventually it all will come together. I think I'm done. I think I'm out. I think I've, I think I've seen the light at the end of the tunnel and this Sixers team is the only way it can get better is if it completely dies and gets deconstructed and built back up. So, so basically you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel and that, and that light is a train. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's it's it's, right the, it's the Warriors, just like with a hammer, just like no. It's like yeah, it's like the Sixers popping up, and it's what are those things called? Where you just whack a mole, like whack a mole, maybe right? Like one one problems fixed for the Sixers, another one pops up, and it just yeah. keeps going and going. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that doesn't seem to be going away, Otto, and I thought that Serena kind of touched on this a little bit throughout the course of the interview, but we didn't elaborate on it was some of the health and safety protocol issues that the NBA is happening or is dealing with at this time. Yeah. But I think it's, it's bigger than that because people who look at this in a vacuum, it's not just the NBA, the NFL is having issues, the NHL is having issues. And it's, it's a sign that while we thought we were close and we've harped on this now for a year and a half, you know, it. you end every show with the same line urging people to get vaccinated, urging people to take care of one another. And while we've done that to some extent, it's clear now that there are cracks in the armor and that like we need to start kind of like reanalyzing where we're at and what we're doing to keep these players and fans safe. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, there are a few other things that, that people I think still don't fully understand. And that is, you know, this this is this is something that you can contract even if you have been vaccinated. So a lot of people like to say, "Well, I got the vaccines. Why why is this happening to me?" Well, just think about it. You know, if you get the flu vaccine as a measure of protection against something, it's not an absolute measure, but it's a measure of protection against something. So and and it's a factor of I you know I'm not a scientist or doctor. I couldn't tell you, but there's 
you know, for every person who gets it, it reduces your chance of getting it that much more. Uh, but now we have the variant or another variant, the Omicron variant, which is far more contagious, however, less, um, less severe. That doesn't mean that you won't get sick. It just means that proportionally fewer people will get sick. But if you have more people getting sick, the numbers may not be any different if you don't understand what I'm saying. Like, you know, you could have a, a, small, a small, amount of small amount of transmission and relatively few, or you could have a high you know, number. And so anyway, so the, the, the point is like, I, I, don't, I don't know where the league necessarily goes because as you mentioned, it's not just the NBA. Um, you know, I, I, I cover the, you know, or, or we have people on staff covering the Dallas Cowboys. A couple of weeks back, the Dallas Cowboys were the number one team in, in player missed games. And that was a team in which everybody was vaccinated save for two yep. players. So it's not like the guys weren't doing what they were supposed to do. But at the same time, that just kind of shows either the distancing or the mask or, you know, or the booster. I can't tell you how many people did or did not get the booster. But it, you know, this is something that I think, I think we all have to acknowledge the fact this is something that's going to be with us for a lot longer than we probably want to admit. Yeah, it's, it's not going away anytime soon. And I, th- I think a big part of what you said was, remember at the beginning of the year, the NFL touted it, the NBA touted it, <clears throat> and everyone spoke to how high their vaccination rates were, right? That they had taken these steps, the players were committed, and that doesn't change anyone's commitment to what it is. But it just shows how important it is that when scientists, when people come out and they say, hey, you need to get this booster shot because it eliminates or it raises your percentage of likely to not get it this high, you do it. I I, I had a friend who sent me numbers today and I can't remember exactly what they were, but I want to say that like it was close to like three fourths of people who have the booster do not get it as opposed to like. 40% 40% of people without the booster get it. Yeah. So like those yeah. numbers are not fake. They are real. And so it's just a matter of taking it into consideration, doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Now from, from a sports perspective, is there anything, you know, the NBA and all the leagues that look at their product, is there anything that they can do or is it just kind of, I mean, I, I don't expect for, for what's happening now, I don't expect anyone to say we're going to curtail a season. I don't think they're anywhere remotely close to that. I don't think anyone's talking about that, but we're having a proactive conversation yeah, and getting, trying to, be, you know, trying to be ahead of, ahead of the curve here. I don't see that happening. I think it's just, you know, people, people know what's out there. They're going to have to take care of themselves. Yeah, and I, I think that's a big part of it. I don't think the league or the NBA or the NFL or the NHL can do anything more than they've already done, right? Like they've worked with the players associations. They've asked the players to get vaccinated. Vast majority of them have been vaccinated. And then it's, I mean, you can only do as much as you possibly can do. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing. And our producer, Dan, Dan Kramer chirped in our ear and he goes, the major league baseball is in the best possible thing that you can do. They're having a, they're having a lockout. So like, <laughs> they just don't even care anymore. But I mean, outside of a lockout or a suspended season, I, I don't know what more you can do. Um, but you're right, Otto. We got to live with it. We got to go on. And there's going to be bumps in the road. Like my Chiefs this week on Thursday night football are going to have to deal probably without Chris Jones because he's in health and safety protocols. So it's an issue, but it's not going away. Do you think, the, do you think at some point the health and safety protocols will be, um, be, be, be changed, be altered such that Okay, you know the guy's got COVID, but you know, but he's not falling down. You know, he's 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 functional because you know there've been a lot of those cases where it's like I didn't even know I had it until I tested. So could there be a situation where I'm not saying this is because you know, what you don't want, especially in the playoffs, what you don't want is you don't want it to become a super spreader event. It, it, exactly, but you you also don't want to have a, a a playoff series determined by the fact that that Steph and Draymond and you know. Uh, three guys who who are you know starters who are otherwise fine can't play so i i I don't know yeah it's at some point there has to become some level of normalcy with it right yeah where it's it's not that well we take this person and we say no they can't compete for four or five days despite them being vaccinated right right because the the idea was when these players were told at the start of the season 
you get vaccinated, you're going to be okay. You're probably going to be able to play the rest of the year, right? Right. Now, that was before all this new information came out, obviously. Right. Right. But there does need to be some level of normalcy that happens eventually. I don't think that happens this year. I don't think it happens next year. I think we're probably three, four years away from where we're just living with this, right? Like, so I don't know. Yeah, if we make it. I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that. Yeah, it was just, I'm just thinking back to you know, Michael Jordan and the flu game. Like, I know COVID is not the flu, but had it been, had we treated it the same same way, someone's going to tell Michael Jordan he can't play for ten days. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Do you think Michael Jordan would even listen to that? He'd be like, no. I'm yeah, like, and he uh, did. He did. He didn't <laughs> care if his other teammates got sick. <laughs> even though it was, well, we don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if if you ask Utah fans. They'll say that it was a lie. They'll say that it never happened, that it was just some narrative that he built up to build his legacy. Yeah. But yeah. that's a conversation for another day, right? Bingo. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Well, it's time to wrap things up this week. Special thanks to Serena Winters for joining us to talk Philadelphia 76ers and the latest rumors around Ben Simmons. Also, why it's bad to be a Philadelphia fan in general. And special thanks to our producer, Dan Kramer, and to our editor. He is the one. He is the only. He is a fellow Jayhawk. His name is Drew Rich. Also, big ups to our king of content, our CCO, our EP, our double B. He is dropping his latest EP next week. He is Bruce Bernstein. As for the rest of all that Pure Hoops Media has to offer, the Mike Weiss Show each week brought you entertaining takes, incredible stories, and high-level guests. Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks every Thursday. And BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And Otto and I are back next Wednesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. Well, we just talked about COVID a little bit, and here's your, here's your weekly reminder. So as you know, our big hope for this year is that every person on the planet gets the COVID vaccine or their booster shot, or I should say, and their booster shot, so we could finally put this pandemic to an end. But we are not there yet, folks. So please protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and maintaining social distance as best you can. Uh, and please don't forget the medical professionals and other frontline workers who are doing their part to keep us safe. So for my partner, Aaron Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. See you next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.